0: This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26, 2022. It's from the track, Banking Crosses into its Digital Future, sponsored by Galileo Financial Technologies, and is titled, Embedded Finance, Ubiquity or Winner Take All? Speaking on this session are Michael Haney, Technicist, Kurt Carew's CCBX, With MITRE, Joe Kazmarek, RSM. All right, thank you guys. We're going to be talking about embedded finance. My name is uh, Joe Kazmarek. I'm the national fintech leader at RSM. We're the fifth
1: largest professional service firm, so we do audit, tax, and consulting. Mike, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having us. I'm Mike Haney. I run the uh, what we call the digital core business line here at Technisys, uh which is our core banking platform. And, and we also have a few other solutions uh, that we collectively call Cyberbank, including a digital engagement platform and a conversational banking platform. Uh, also happy to announce that we were recently acquired by Galileo, hence the sponsorship by Galileo, which complements our existing solution set with some cards and payment solutions. So thanks again for having us.
2: And I'm Kirk Carews. Uh, kind of in between, I uh, just recently was CEO of Tab Bank. Uh Starting next week, I'll be president of Coastal Bank in Seattle, both which are very heavy into the banking as a service space. And so I'm looking forward to kind of growing that and continuing in that space.
0: Perfect. So, Mike, maybe you want to start out by uh, telling us what
1: embedded finance is. Sure, absolutely. So there's a lot of interrelated terms, so I know it can be a bit confusing. Uh, let's start first from the bank's perspective. So we often call that banking as a service. So these are banks who are looking to uh, provide their products and services outside of their branded or traditional channel- channels, so branch, uh, contact center, Uh, internet, website and so on and looking to uh, power other brands, uh, be they in the financial services industry or outside of the financial services industry, retail, commerce travel and hospitality and so forth and really be able to expose in this modern era through APIs their services to these other brands so that the end consumer the end customer uh, can have more seamless journey so that's the other side, from the merchant side for example, it would be considered embedded finance from the banking side. We might call it banking as a service. And there's a third term that you'll often hear as well, which we call open banking. Uh, And that term largely came out of Europe and the UK and has sort of permeated around the world and has more of a data-centric view. So we often think about embedded finance from a functionality point of view, but data is such a key part of this story Uh, that we can't forget about uh, uh, data as well, and particularly the rights of consumers to own and control uh, their data, uh, the accuracy of that data, who gets to see the data, and where it gets transmitted. So that's kind of how these three uh, terms that you're going to hear a lot are sort of interconnected. Yeah, I I think the big thing
0: about that uh, that you pointed out is the seamless part of it. I think embedded finance has been around for uh, a number of years with typically larger transactions, but Nowadays, it's become much more popular with uh, e-commerce and the use of cell phones, and it's embedding that into every transaction. Um, but, Kurt, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how banks, what what role banks play in the embedded finance arena?
2: Sure, I think, well, today, I think one of the most uh, common example is probably buy now, pay later, right? That that banks, finance companies, et cetera, Taking the assets and kind of delivering it at the point of need or the point of transaction, but but if you really go back in time, as Joe was saying, I mean, uh, retailers, banks, etc., have been in doing this for a long time. It used to be, You know, when I was younger, uh, most department stores had their own card, uh, which they managed themselves. Banks came in and took that over, and at a time, banks and and retailers and and business and and manufacturers were kind of coming together and of course that spurred on a lot of laws within the United States to restrict and put walls between what banks could do and what retailers could do etc so um, you know there's always been this kind of regulatory wall today you know technology and data has kind of broken those walls down um, and you find you know terms coming to consumers from retailers well they're not in that business and there's a lot of Um, risk to that. There's a lot of risk to the consumer, a lot of risk to the business. Um, There's compliance, regulatory things that you have to deal with. What about the customer service after the fact? What about collecting on payments? And all all of those things, uh, you know, need to be taken care of. And so we're at this, I think, this place in the evolution of it trying to figure it out. The key to it really in today's world is what do we do with the data and how does the data necessary to kind of power all this. How does it get to where it needs to be? Where should it be? Does a consumer own it, carry it around with them, tokenized? Um, does a retailer develop a platform, an ecosystem um, to create all this? And then does the bank just sit in the background with the plumbing? We're, we actually are seeing all of these happening at the same time, some some variation of them. And I think it's, well, you yet to find out kind of where it all settles. The banks really understand how you know regee rules and and how do we do uh, compliant marketing how, how do we take care of customer service out of the fact after the fact? how do we do um, collections in a way that is is takes care of the consumer and doesn't and does no harm? Those are the things we've got to figure out, and that's where banks excel and have a, a big part to play um, but the customer right? It's got to take the customer into account. So the customer may want something different. And I think over time, we're going to find out by, by you know, capitalistic measure, measures where it all ends up. In the meantime, I think we also need regulatory support because right now in the United States, we don't have open banking laws and regulations to kind of guide this. And the way that it all works is is a transfer of data. And that can't happen without open banking. So, We're trying, this market's developing, Uh, the infrastructure I don't think is there to kind of guide where it's gonna end up. So, you know, I think we'll wait and see.
0: Now, that was a good answer, and I think one of the things that you pointed out was the consumer. And Mike, maybe tell us a little bit about what what are the benefits to the consumer of embedded finance?
1: Yeah, if you look at some of the examples, um, and it's interesting, because Kurt mentioned, uh, if we look at the retail space, for example, that the concepts uh, predate Uh, technology enablement of those concepts, right? If you dial back to the 70s, uh, layaway programs at your local retailer, uh, if you dial back, you know, uh, you you know, further, you started to see them move into the, the, the private label card kind of business. Uh, you know, even Macy's today, for example, will still have a card, even though they've outsourced that, uh, to a bank like Citibank to run it for them. Um, so the need has always been there and the technology just makes these things, uh, more, Uh, you know, run more smoothly. Um, But if you look at all the examples which are emerging, and one I like to talk about a lot, right, is uh, if you go to an airline like Delta, for example, and you're shopping around for your tickets on delta.com, you don't really want an airline ticket. What you want is a vacation in Hawaii or to go on that business trip or what have you. And, you know, the first thing obviously to appear is that uh, payment checkout button right? Now we all take it for granted. Well, of course, every website or every e-commerce site has a, a checkout, right? MasterCard, Visa, Amex, what have you. And it's so seamless. And now it's getting even easier because I can use a biometric or I can use an email address to, to check out. I don't even need my card number anymore. Uh, but now it's getting more and more exhaustive, right? You want to protect that ticket in, in case your trip accidentally gets canceled due to sickness or some conflict, right? I want to uh, uh, protect my family on the trip with, uh, with insurance, like health insurance uh, especially if I'm going to another country where my health insurance doesn't cover me, I, I want to be able to uh, book my car and my hotel all in the same journey that I'm on with the airline, uh, and so on and so forth. And we can just see all these examples of how uh, banks, insurance companies, brokerages, etc., are embedding their services into these other brands and and helping you. Uh, create that journey. So in that example, again, you want the vacation, you don't want an airline ticket, you don't want an insurance policy, you want the holistic thing taken care of for you. Uh, It's still one th- one of the things I find is that it's still sort of very uh, reactive to the event that just happened, right? Uh, so, for example, I buy a Tesla, and right during that point of sale, I, they they embed the insurance uh, offers right there, right, with State National Insurance. Uh, so that event is that purchase, and I think uh, you know the industry is going to start moving more and more from a reactive type of situation to something that's even more proactive um, and you know how do we get ahead of what the customer might want rather than reacting to the event that's happening at that point in time but we start seeing this all over there's a reason why Zillow is moving into Zillow marketplaces for mortgages or uh, rocket mortgage is moving into rocket homes and getting into real estate right because you don't want that financial product or service you want a place to live a, a vacation you, you know you want a new car to get you around like that's really what you want these things are the Enabling that journey to be that much more smoothly. So it's it's pretty fascinating and those are only consumer examples And we can have a whole other session on B2B examples.
2: Yeah And and aside from the fact I'm not sure how many people in the audience know what layaway is, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a a little you have to be a little dated, but (laughs) um, But yeah, and to that point what how do we then um, who protects the consumer? Uh, because Things can move so fast and it's so easy to get credit today. I mean, you look at buy now, pay later and the stats on it and I scratch my head and I don't know where it's gonna end up. I saw one stat that said forty percent of people that took out a BNPL, you know, missed a payment or were late on a payment. Now I don't know what that means in the end of it about you know whether where where the credit profiles are gonna end up. But but there is a factor and you know we know in banking over the years right there's a myriad of regulation the regulation is not bad it's a good thing because it helps keep stability it helps keep trust it helps protect consumers and businesses and all across um but it feels old, heavy-handed sometimes but today um there there needs to be some friction in this process and when i say friction it doesn't mean difficulty necessarily but but you know, if, uh, buying wish things online at a rapid pace, if somebody's going through mental health issues or such, and they're just buying and buying, that's not a good thing, right? Where now at some point, how do we take all this and create an ecosystem that also creates that kind of financial health? And, and who does that, right? Uh, banks have the benefit of having a high level of trust uh, today. Uh, that's, you know, that's why we are the holders and safe keepers of, of, of the nation's money. Um, but with that comes that responsibility then, uh, you know, easy credit isn't a good thing for everybody. And so at what point then does embedded finance marry up with the protective ecosystem of, of that, the financial health of the consumer or the business or the small business, et cetera? And so, you know, we're, we're at this point where you open a spigot and there's unlimited credit access and that, that is a recipe for disaster. And we know that if we went to school and studied finance, we, we, we studied the stories. So, you know, embedded finance's path, right, is gonna run up to some significant resistance. And, you know, we saw crypto meltdown recently and panic. Um, we don't want that to slow down the progress of what's happening. All of this is good ultimately for the consumer, but we need to do it in the right way, in a protective way.
0: Yeah, And Kurt, maybe you can touch a little bit on how, um, because you've been quite a bit of a pioneer when it comes to partnering and some of the embedded financing things that you've done as a CEO. What are the benefits of that? How How is the bank rewarded by going into some of those programs?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ability to deliver more financial services through fintech partners um, is, is a huge boon for banks, because uh, particularly if you think of community banks, uh, you know, the, the bank I just left, Tab Bank, was a digital bank, so we didn't have a geographic footprint but they specialize in handling truck drivers. And so that was a community that they could really hone in on, understand, figure out how to meet their needs. But when you think about it today, you know, acquiring customers, now you've got FinTechs out there spending a lot of money to acquire customers. If banks provide the services behind the scenes or even in partnership, um, it's a very profitable model. And so you see a lot of banks, you know, trying to move rapidly into that space. The there, Taylor, I'll tell you, eight years of experience and, and, and mistakes is it's not as simple as trying to, you know, establish a compliance program at, at, a, at, another, at a FinTech or such, right? The economic models are, are, are different between a bank and a FinTech. And so as you're doing, you know, whether it's uh, BAS and you're providing checking accounts, whether it's credit products or such, that that factor of being able to protect the consumer, to protect the fraud, and if you go into the digital space, fraud attacks are huge. I mean, they just, the minute you're identified as a digital player, you're on a list somewhere. I don't know where the list is, but on the dark web web somewhere. Um, and, and and exactly with fintechs as well. And so, and that fraud, you know, they may come to, uh, towards us, or it may come directly at our customers. And so, when you look at it all and how do you combine it, the hard part is, not not putting in a compliance program. The hard part is execution and processes, right? Years and decades, banks have built systems to, for disputes and, and errors, uh, chargebacks, um, fraud on accounts and things of that nature. Uh, that that comes down, to, it actually comes down to culture, but it also comes down to just processes. And and compliance programs, et cetera, what I've found in, my, in the last several years of doing this is it, it really does come down to not putting a lot of, of infrastructure in place and policies. It comes down to people and the commitment of the organization to protect the, the consumer and, and their customers. Um, that, that's going to take a while for all of this to figure out how do we make sure that bad actors are out of the system and good actors are in there looking out for not just the bottom line, but the customer. Um, so I think that's the big challenge.
0: Yeah. And I guess um, we have a minute or two left. So Mike, you know, this industry is expected to be a $7 trillion industry by 2030. What do you think that looks like?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see, uh, as I mentioned before, an expansion out of B2C type of use cases. Uh, we're seeing more and more uh, what I'll call B2E, right? Employee types of embedded finance. If you look at Lyft, for example, working with Stride Bank, uh, so that after each ride, the the driver gets paid instantaneously. It doesn't have to wait till a paycheck at the end of the month, for example. Uh, and we're going to start seeing more uh, B2B use cases as well. I think to the end consumer, um, it will actually feel like nothing, right? The, the most beautiful experiences are, are happening without you necessarily knowing about it. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, steps along the way when we see with embedded finance where the, uh, the, the, the consumer has to initiate, yes, I want that, I'm opting into that particular thing. Um, but I think it's going to become more of the sort of lubrication behind other industries, and that's really going to be where the, the magic uh, comes from. And the banks, uh, there are going to be banks who excel at being that sort of utility for the other brands, uh, and there are other banks who are going to excel at, and be better at uh, being that brand uh, you know, that strong brand that the consumers trust. Kurt mentioned that concept of trust. That's still something the banks have an advantage of over, over more uh, most fintechs today. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, how we'll see it evolve in, in the next few years.
0: Well, guys, I want to thank you
1: for being here.
0: You guys did a fantastic job. And thank you yep. for uh, picking us over beers. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. All
0: right, thanks very much.